Light Warrior Radio. I am your host, Dr. Karen Can, author of the number one bestseller, Sensitivity is Your Superpower, How to Harness Your Gifts, Fulfill Your Purpose, and Create a Life of Joy. I'm so happy that you're here with us today. Yay! <laughs> so if you're new to the tribe, I'd love to invite you. Excuse me. <coughs> Do not inhale birthday bars. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'd love for you to uh, join us. Um, one of the ways you can do that is get on my mailing list. If you're a highly sensitive person, sensitive soul, you can get my sensitive soul empowerment guide. Yes, sensitivesoulguide.com. You can uh, get that free. Download three ways of navigating your way to more peace, positivity, and personal power. So that's sensitivesoulguide.com. Now, today... We are going to be talking about cancer recovery with my friend, the amazing Dr. Katrina Cox Rainville. And I met Katrina um, quite a number of years ago at a wellness leadership um, convention and um, got to be friends. I had her on the podcast previously. Loved what she had to say about cancer recovery. You see, a lot of people go through cancer treatment, whatever treatments they have, um, you know, natural chemo, radiate, whatever. It doesn't, that's not what we're talking about today. But here's the thing. Afterwards, afterwards, they're kind of just left on their own, <laughs> you know? Um, and uh, we get to talk about Dr. Katrina's brand new book, uh, which is called The Opportunity in Cancer, How to Radically Transform Your Cancer Recovery Journey, and about her trademark for our formula, Release, Reclaim, Restore, and Renew, to help those involved in cancer recovery, you know, when they're overwhelmed, you know, when they're in fear, um, when they're still anxious about, are they going to get it back? Is this really cured? I feel awful. What do I do? You know? So um, I think this is a beautiful, beautiful way of reframing the whole cancer experience is to really look at that opportunity. And her book is launching. So we're going to be talking about where you can get a copy of her book and more about this as well. You can join her at cancerremissionmission.com, which I love that. Cancerremissionmission, all one word. Dot com. Without further ado, Dr. Katrina. Hi, Hi, Karen. Hi, Dr. Karen. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm so happy about your book. I'm so happy you're here with us again. Thank you. Thank you. I'm I'm really uh, in awe a little bit because you know people are picking it up and being able to like connect with it, which is awesome, and I'm mm. so excited. And people all over the uh, all over the world are being able to connect with it, which is the whole purpose of this. Yes. And I want to well, thank I, you for enjoying inviting me back on. Oh, my my pleasure. And you know, we were talking about this future book, right? Yeah. <laughs> Way back when, and um, I'm thinking, where are we going to get our hands on it? <laughs> yeah. So there is a landing page where you can actually buy it, and really exciting. Today is the first day you can actually buy a copy of the book. Woo-hoo. So we we had it as an ebook for the whole month of August. We did okay. the promotions. We were able to spread it worldwide. So we've had downloads mm-hmm. in Australia and Germany and the UK and, and India and Africa. And we land, thankfully, and, and I'm blessed by this, but we landed in the top five categories in all five of those countries um, across the world. So number one in mm-hmm. cancer in the States and number one in alternative medicine in Canada. 
um, number Woo-hoo. one in alternative medicine in Australia. So, so very, it's being picked up, which is great. And we have some five-star reviews, which is awesome. And that's the purpose. But today is the first day you can actually order a actual copy of the book, because I know that they're, I mean, my aunts and my mom and dad still haven't read it because they want an actual copy of the book right, and they right. don't know how I to like do eBooks too. and stuff. Right. So, um, so yeah, so we have an actual copy of the book right now, which is awesome, available, easy, Amazon, it goes right to your door. And they will print it for you and you'll get an actual copy, which is awesome. So, so yeah, so we're moving through this process and, and your listenership is part of that launch phase, which is amazing. And we have an actual landing page called the, the opportunity So you can go right there. You can just click on the link. It sends you there. And the one thing about that page is that you, once you buy it, there's my favorite part about this book is that we also have resources. So there's an entire electronic PDF copy of all of the charts and the questionnaires and everything else that's in the book. Mm. You can actually download and fill in on your own tablet, computer, laptop, whatever. You can print them out and do them by hand if you'd like. So, so that, that resource actually is a lo- downloadable also from the website and the landing page for the book, which is amazing. Oh, that's so. great. Well, you're, you know, your sites look gorgeous. Of course, you're using my Thank favorite you. color, purple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's so clean. It's so so beautiful to navigate. Um, and people really need, especially when they're overwhelmed with cancer and everything related to that, uh, just having a fresh, you know, simple way of really getting support is so important. So first of all, congratulations. And uh, yes, definitely everybody go get the book today. Um, <laughs> And second of all, you know, maybe you can back, dial it back a little bit and, and tell us about, like, why is this even a thing? Like, wh- wh- why do we need this, you know? Yeah, of course. So my, my beginning experience with supporting cancer care was actually through both of my parents. At certain points during my education, I was in naturopathic college when my dad got diagnosed with cancer, and then, I, and then I had just graduated when my mom got diagnosed with cancer. So, you know, they went through all the treatments, and they did all the stuff, you know, it felt like a bazillion radiation sessions for my dad, and my mom had chemo and did all that, and, and they, they were very much into integration, so I, I hooked them up with, um, you know, NDs and other people, and, but I was a part of that, uh, that support. But what struck me with both of them was that the minute they ended up in remission, it was kind of like, okay, go back to doing what you were doing from before. And, and my dad was not the same. Neither one of my parents were the same people, right? They had been through this. They, their bodies had transformed into something else. My dad was having massive memory issues and fatigue. And, you know, 18 months after going through radiation, he was still not back to work full time. And my parents were trying to figure it out and, you know, he was getting lost driving the five minutes home that he'd driven for 30 years from, you know, his workplace to our house, you know, like they're just that cognitive chemo, well, it's radiation, but it's cancer induced cognitive impairment, Mm. essentially, it struck him hard. And so I watched this, you know, and, and I went, oh, my God, this is crazy. Like, you know, they're just left behind. And so I started, my dad started doubling down on treatment. And back then in the early 2000s, his oncologist said, you know, we can't do anything about it. Just take more time off. You know, this might be your life forever. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, he's in his fifties. This is like not okay, you know, right? And, um, and so he started doubling down and working, you know, on all kinds of parts of the different parts of this process. And, um, you know, and, uh, you know, 18 months later, he was much better. Now he still has some impairment, but, you know, 18 months later, he was much better. And his oncologist said, I don't want to know what you're doing because I'm going to have to tell you to stop. 
So whatever you're doing is working, so keep doing it. And I went, that's just really? so dismissive. And yeah, because he was in, so, so mo- a lot of them are, you know, they're, they're based on the system, right? They're all, the okay. oncologists are like, they have to, like, they have to, you know, they have certain things that they have to do. They have to follow certain check marks. Like, it, like the job can be very um, challenging in that there's a lot of restrictions, right? And, you know, back in the early 2000s, there was not as much integration as there is today. And I would say that there are still people who are experiencing that kind of dismissive, unvalidated attitude, you know. And my dad thought it was phenomenal that he told him to just keep doing what he was doing, but he didn't want to know about it, you know, right? Because he thought, well, I wasn't wasn't being told that I had to stop, right? Like, this is a huge thing. And I went, this is not okay. And, you know, the big thing that I recognized was that my parents lived in a smaller community where it was an hour drive to their cancer center, just one way. Right. So, you know, and so they went from doing that every day, five days a week for radiation for an entire two months of the summer, right, to like not seeing anybody hiding away. There's no one to touch base with. And, and this was before virtual care, right? I mean, back right. in the early 2000s. So, so they just had to put the pieces together. And I thought, this is a lot of people's experiences. You know, unless you live in a giant metropolitan center, and this happens a lot, and you'll read this about this in the book, where, you know, where, you know, the major city centers, for example, in Canada, Toronto, it's phenomenal. But, you know, they have, they're like, oh, I just prefer the people to this. I'm like, okay, but what about the people who don't live in the city of Toronto? You know, like, what about the yep. people who, you know, are, you know, 45 minutes to an hour away, and they've invested their life to get rid of their cancer, and they're in remission, and they can no longer invest in order to keep going into this treatment. And I thought, people need a place, you know. And and the one thing that I love about my practice is it's about taking steps, you know. And the big part about this is also about individualization. People need to know that it's not about treating the cancer, it's about treating them, right? And they need to know that they are at the core center of any decision that's being made, you know. And and Mm. the purpose of this book is to be able to give them a framework that they can go and find people. They know which questions to ask. They know mm-hmm. how to break through the overwhelm and get clarity, right? They know how to like say that, you know, instead of walking into a health food store and they're like, oh, all of this is good for cancer. They can be like, okay, but this is the kind that I had and this is what I'm still dealing with. And so I can narrow, you know, this giant shelf down to four or five things that are manageable and feel very confident in the treatment mm-hmm. plan that I'm putting together. Right. And so right. my book is about being able to recognize your individuality, recognize roadblocks. That's the first one. So in the releasing section, we talk about roadblocks and how they have a big role to play in like how people can sometimes get stuck in terms of their recovery. And so how do we identify what my roadblocks are? Are they a mental issue? Are they a physical issue? Are they a spiritual issue? Right. Like what mm-hmm. is it that's stopping that progress? Right. And so I find that one of the best things that people need is they need resources, right? They need to be able to go, this is my baseline, right? And then I redo the test and go, oh, my baseline's changed. Because there's a lot of times people will feel like maybe they haven't gotten anywhere and they still feel tired. But then when they go to do a questionnaire, they're like, oh, crap. It is like 60% better because I am doing this better and I'm doing like, and so it's, it's about building awareness, self-awareness, because you can get lost in the tornado, you know, yep. and you have to be able to find people that aren't just going to tell you what to do, but that are actually going to partner with you. 
And so this book bridges that gap to be able to say, you know, I, I, I can keep looking for a partnership, but in the meantime, I can still keep doing these things for myself, you know, right? And there are some people that, you know, financially get destituted by cancer as well. Treatments yep. are expensive. They've lost their jobs. They can't go back. There's all these pieces. And so, you know, a $20 book in your hand giving you everything that you could possibly need in order to get started is a really big place to be able to decide where you need to invest your money and what the most important parts are for you and moving forward, right? And understanding what your roadblocks are so that you can overcome them. Because the purpose of this world, and in my opinion, especially with cancer patients who've been through this in traumatic and triggering experience, they really have to be able to feel like, you know, that they can, you know, find out who they are again so they're not lost, yeah. you know, and they get to re-know who they are because it's this giant whirlwind of like you have cancer and then do, 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 appointment, 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 treatment, treatment, treatment. And even in natural medicine, right, this can still happen because we're mm -hmm. focused solely on one problem and not always being able to spend as much time on all of the person. So that's why I think it's a needed resource. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I can I can hear the passion in your voice, and I love it. <laughs> I love it uh, because you've gone through that personally with with your parents, and just you know really saw firsthand what the need was. And um, supposedly, you know, one in two people are going to be diagnosed with cancer in our lifetime, right? I know. Um, yeah, and your staff, you know, you shared, um, you know, in our newsletter, we shared that uh, you shared that three quarters of those people will survive beyond ten years. So. You know, sometimes this dismissiveness of the medical system, um, I don't know what it is. I, maybe that's why I never went into the oncology rotation uh, because I just, I don't know, it just didn't resonate with me. But um, it is, is really, really uh, terrible, I, uh, if I were to judge it, just in terms of the holistic patient care. They just see the cancer and not really the patient. And so you're really filling in all these gaps that is sorely needed. So yeah. Wow. wow and the wow, big wow. part is like some of us don't survive to 10 years, but there are clarity moments of remission where, you know, people may get a reoccurrence or they may, you know, have these other things come up or they may have to keep going through treatment, but that doesn't mean that they can't enjoy that part. And if they're constantly tapped or in a stressed survivor mode, yep. how can they actually get better in order to make whatever the next step of their life are actually fully capable of living them to the nth degree, you know, right? So it's about moving past survivorship and going into thriving. You know, the purpose of living is not to just be spinning our wheels in a hamster wheel and living in that survivor mode. And, and I don't know about you, but this happens a lot. Tons of my patients come to me because someone says, well, it's just stress. You gain weight, <laughs> you can't sleep, you know, you just got to get your stress under control. And people are like, how in the crap do I do that? You know, right? right? Like, you know, I can't just quit my job and, you know, leave my kids mm -hmm. and like, you know, like there is a life that I've created that I need to be able to figure out how to function, how to say no, how to that awareness so that it doesn't have the same impacts on me. You know, there's all of that part of, you know, moving out of stress. And, and there is actually this, this is something that I talk a lot about in the book is that there's something called post-treatment syndrome. It's pretty much equivalent to PTSD. Mm. And basically what happens is, people are in that survivor mode. They're like, I just got to get to the next treatment and I feel so terrible, but it's fine. And, you know, I just have 14 sessions to do and, and then I'm done, you know, right. And then they get to the end of it and they're like, uh, okay, now what, you know, right. Like that was what I was, and they're still in that spiral of survivorship. And so to address stress 
you know, as a, as a key underlying function, we have to be able to name it. We've got to be able to recognize what it is, how our body responds to it, how we can unravel that. How do we, how do we take something that's so esoteric, like how we're responding to stress, and turn it into something where we can actually, you know, treat it? And it's not some like, oh, I give everybody the same herb. Like, it's got to be more than that because there are so many different responses. There are people like me who function high levels at stress, right? Like I'm like, mm-hmm. take it on, mm-hmm. bring it on more, 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 yeah, more, right. more. And then there are people who are frozen and they just stand there yep. like, you know, and they're like, I can't make a decision. I can't make a decision. I can't make exactly. a decision. And then there are people who are like, forget it. I'm not doing anything. And they're just running away. Right. You know? Yep. And so there's all of these different states. And one of the cool things about this book is that there's actually an entire section dedicated to moving out of survivor mode, which is equivalent to a stress state mode. And there's an entire, you know, in that section, there's an entire buildup to being able to actually name where you're at in your survivorship state and be able to actually, you know, look at what kinds of treatments are going to open that up for you and how they affect you. And, and, you know, and, and I think awareness is key. I mean, how do you unravel fear, overwhelm and anxiety is by getting clarity, clarity, gives you a, a way to understand what's happening to you. It gives you a way to be able to be aware of what, what is physically happening in your body mentally and emotionally. And it also gives you a step forward in order to be able to build a plan that, def- that is effective and functional. And so this is one of the things that this is the gift within this book for, uh, for a lot of people is finding that clarity. Mm, interesting. Now, what are some of more like common mistakes that hold cancer survivors back from actually thriving? So part of the, you know, part of the difficulty that people have or one of the things that I think is is really big is that they're not able to, you know, that that lack of clarity and and then the overwhelm of what everybody else thinks they should do. So a big mistake that a lot of people make is, you know, listening to everybody else, you know, and that 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 polarity is like one of the things that people really struggle with because you know, somebody says, oh, this is good for it. And so then they just take it. And then, you know, and, and this happens a lot in my, you know, in, in my practice, we talk to people and I say to them, like, you know, what, what is it that you want to accomplish? You know, what, what, can you imagine what life would be like if you just mm-hmm. felt like everything was amazing, right? right? If you were like, I am living life and this is the best life that I can live and I don't have any struggles, like, can you actually imagine it? And so now yep. what we need to do is, if you can't imagine it, we need to define that. And then outside of that, we need to tap into what it is that's going to get us there. And so there are well-meaning family members, well-meaning, you know, spouses and partners in crime. There are well-meaning friends. There are even well-meaning, you know, healthcare providers. But if everyone is not able to listen and they're, and they're just bombarding the person, you know, because with media nowadays, I mean, there are 45 thousand studies that come out every day and you just get sent a newspaper article like are you doing this and are you doing that and you know right and and you know right and so one of those things is like how do we get out of that and so this you know I talked a little bit about roadblocks but this is the big thing that people that that clarity that they need that that connection so they can move past that polarity so that they can address those roadblocks because that's they start spinning their wheels right and mm-hmm. a lot of times, in order to get better faster, we give them medications. And not that that's a bad thing, but there has to still be the, the deeper level of work, you know. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's lots of people who have massive amounts of anxiety, and it stops them from leaving the home. I mean, the last two years has been, 
absolutely blindsiding for some of these people getting treatment mm-hmm. because they have to fight for themselves to get into cancer treatment centers because, you know, they're not taking patients and whatever else. And then they also have to feel like they're immunocompromised. So on top of that, they have all this fear about being able to like sit on their back porch and drink, you know, tea with their friends or, you know, there's, there's this piece mm-hmm. where, where they're real, that even more are struggling with that. And so how do we unravel those roadblocks in order for a, to, at every level, right? Not just physical, but also at the mental and emotional and spiritual level, how do we unravel those? So, and so I think that, you know, the polarity and the overwhelm are big mistakes that keep us where we're at and, and survivors back from thriving. But the big one is, you know, the underlying piece of those is those roadblocks of like, you know, what is it that's stopping you from being able to like actually heal this? You know, is it your thoughts? Is it, you know, is it something different? You know, and there's a lot of people that don't give a full, you know, they don't do a full workup right? Even from the physical perspective, you know, the oncologists in my area at least are just running CBCs and they're like, oh, you're still anemic. Oh, you're still anemic. They don't run an iron panel. They don't run a B12 panel. They don't run vitamin D panels. Like they're not looking at all these other nutrients. And one of the, yeah. (laughs) And so one of the big R's that I, that, you know, the, the third R is the restore R and that's that piece of like, how do we physically restore the body? Just waiting for it. You know, mm. the argument a lot of times I hear is, well, the body is supposed to naturally just do that. I said, yeah, but the body's not supposed to naturally be invested in toxins and radiation. Exactly. This is a huge thank assault. Thank you, thank you, thank you for you saying know, right? that. Oh, my gosh. This is, a, this is a huge <laughs> assault that we have to give it a little bit of a boost. I mean, the most moving statistic in the book for me, and one of the things I say to people is like, you know, um, 88 over 80 percent of those who've had chemotherapy come out vitamin d deficient like frank like frankly vitamin d deficient and then we have studies that show that people who have cancer or in the cancer remission if they keep their vitamin d in the top quarter of the range they end up with less remission less symptomology like less of these lingering symptoms question you if we know that the people need to be in the top range and we know that people are in the low end right? Like 80% of those that have gone through chemo are in the low end. Why are we not testing it to make sure that people are getting there? Just telling someone to take a thousand IUs of vitamin D is lip service. You know, if you know this, you test it, you don't guess, and you make sure they get where they need to go. Mm -hmm. You know what? And and, and this is actually covered by insurance, people. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. In a lot of places. Well, yeah, and it's, it's like it's $35 or something Canadian, right? Like this is not something that we need to like <laughs> break our head against essentially, right? So, and, and to treat it, there are so many ways to treat it, but you need to know that the dose is right. You need to know where you're at and you need to know that it's moving in the right direction because otherwise it's just lip service, telling someone that they're tired to just sleep longer. Well, that's not helpful, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's giving mm-hmm. someone else the responsibility and the shame that there, and there's a lot of emotions. There's guilt because somebody else is getting better faster and, you know, all this stuff. And, and so this is where that partnership and that restoration and that true mm. full work up and moving beyond those roadblocks, which is, you know, a very common mistake is that thing to get you to thriving. Right. Yeah. Well, again, I want to ask you your opinion about something because um, this is an observation. Yeah. So I had a patient one time, she wasn't, recovering from cancer, but she definitely had low vitamin D levels. And um, we ended up uh, having her on a, you know, a vitamin D3, um, you know, uh, supplement at some point. And um, she, you know, did well. We 
checked her labs. Uh, they were much, much better. Then I hadn't seen her for a month or so, two months, something like that. She came back. She, she moved away, actually. But anyway, so we did her vitamin D levels again. I said, oh, you haven't had these done. So we did again. Well, it plummeted all the way back down. And I'm like, I said, are you taking your vitamin D? Oh, yeah. I'm like, really? Like, with fat? Like, what's going on? <laughs> and she says, oh, yeah. I said, so, okay, so. So you're taking the, whatever we had prescribed, I can't remember, 5,000, you know, international units a day. And she goes, oh, no. And I'm like, but that's the one I prescribed. And she goes, no, no, I, I went to, uh, my, you know, my new medical doctor, and uh, she prescribed the a prescription. It's covered by my insurance. And I was like, a prescription? At that point, I, I wasn't really prescribing that much to Katrina. So, you know, I was like, what prescription? And so she showed me. It was this vitamin D2. Um, at 50,000 international units once a week. Yep. And she, she was on that. And I said, well, your labs show me, at least for what we can do to trust the labs, the labs show me that it's not working. <laughs> like it's not, you know, uh, getting converted to whatever. So so we put her back on the other one. Uh, but I thought that was fascinating. I don't know if you've come across that at all. Absolutely. I this is where the individualization is very, very important. Mm. And there are so many biochemical processes. And one of the things about cancer is that every single person has cancer cells show up in their body. It's just a matter yep. of whether their immune system and the rest of their body can actually deal with them. So this mm -hmm. happens, you know, basically from the time we're born. It's an abnormal cell division, basically, right? What can happen after a period of time is that cell division starts to grow because the, the gene change is what actually makes that happen. So this is no different than metabolic nutrition, vitamin D3, D2. And, and this is one of the things that I really struggle with because in naturopathic medicine, there are people who are like, I know the answer. And I'm like, you can't. It's impossible. This is one of the things that I cover in the book. You know what you think you know the answer to be, right? Like you think <laughs> that you know that, you know, medically this study shows that this is the best kind and everyone should be on it. Well, there's going to be somebody who is not a part of that study. They're going to be an yeah. outlier in one way or another, or their genes don't match up or something. And you're not truly a real healing practitioner unless you recognize the fact that you cannot do this cookie cutter medicine and you need to individualize things. And so, yeah, there's patients in my practice who prefer it orally. I have patients in my practice that they're so far gone that we actually have to do injections, right? So mm. we, it's like, and actually wow. in reality and what we know now is that there's all this, you know, single nucleotide polymorphisms that I'm going to get a little geeky here, but there's biochemistry <laughs> that we know and we can understand. Now, that those are not descriptive. Those, those NSP, SNPs or SNPs for short, they are not telling you you have this or there's, you know, that kind of thing. Right. But what they do give us is more information on how your body works with certain things. Are you a good converter of vitamin A from nutrition? Do you convert your iron well into ferritin stores? You know, do, do you do well with vitamin C, vitamin D3? Like there are all of these nutrients that have a whole role in how they play and a whole understanding on how the genetics work, right? And mm. so this is where we need to know more and, 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 and medicine is being blown wide open. And so that's not, that's not uncommon. I mean, I, I prefer D3 over D2 anyways because it's converted. I prefer it in a, a fat-soluble emulsified form um, mm -hmm. versus, you know, a dried tablet. You know, there's mm -hmm. lots of ways. But this is, again, another perfect example of test, don't guess. You know, just test, because it's your preferred. Guess. Yeah, just because it's your preferred, you know, way to get it prescribed and you go cheap doesn't mean it's actually doing anything.
right? So well, it does, you have and that to is, know. And it sounds like it also, in terms of the individualization, um, can also be, um, you know, diet and things like that. Because, you know, people will say, well, you know, um, one person might be able to convert beta carotene. I don't even know how that works. I'm an MD, not an ND. So, <laughs> you know, beta carotene to vitamin A. And other people say, no, 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 you have to eat animal products to get vitamin A because most people can't convert it. They say there's vitamin A in the pills, but it's not really. It's just beta carotene. Yep. Anyway, so it can be so confusing uh, to hear all these different opinions um, about what proteins to eat, you eat animal proteins, vegan proteins, vegetarian proteins, you know, and like you said, it's in, really individualized. Um, and it really has I to love be. that you can test some of these things. Absolutely. And, and get foundational knowledge to be able to say, it's okay if it doesn't work for me. You know, I will mm-hmm. tell you that I will never be a vegan. And I know that I'm going to piss a, bo- a bunch of people off with that <laughs> statement, but I do not digest the proteins that are required out of a vegan diet. It's just not right, okay. Right. Do I incorporate vegan meals and vegetarian meals? Absolutely, right? That's not right, that I'm right. eating meat all the time. But if I was to for, forever give those sources up, I would be on my back. Like there's just no way that I could function in that kind right. of a thing. And so that's one of the things that this book does because even in, in you know, holistic medicine or, and, and naturopathic medicine, I find this a lot where, you know, I'll argue sometimes with my own fellow, you know, integrative oncology educated naturopathic doctors and they'll be like nope everybody does keto or everybody does vegetarian or everybody does raw and i'm like hold on a second or macro no, you, whatever yeah or whatever it is that the, that's a, it's, that feels like it's the new flavor of the month it's not right yeah. i mean nutrition's been around for a very long time you know i know keto's very big right now and a lot of people are like ooh, this is amazing i'm like you realize that there were like large groups tons large groups of the population on this planet that had to eat like this in order to survive. This is the way that their bodies worked and they have those genes, you know, right? Like if you mm-hmm. think about, you know, native cultures in, in, in Canada that live north of the 60th parallel, right? What do they right. eat all winter? Fat, Lover. right? Yes, flat, fat and, and meat. They don't have vegetables in their traditional diet no. and they were able to survive on that, you know, and not just survive, thrive. You know, they right. They didn't have cancer. Way. Right. They didn't have some of these things. And so the reality is that, that, that we have to remember where we come from. We have, to, we have to be able to sit in front of a person and understand it's not our agenda as a practitioner. Mm. And that's one of the things that I want to give this book to people so that they can find the person that, that connects with them, that it's not mm. the agenda of the practicing practitioner. It's actually the person sitting in front of them. And that way they can ask questions and they can connect and they can understand and they can get clarity themselves because there is nothing empowering about me telling somebody what to do. That's not an empowering right. feeling cycle. Right. That's just yet another uh, paternal thing. And uh, this is what I tell all my patients. I have some medical knowledge and clinical knowledge. You are the expert in what is going on for you. I am going to help partner with you to navigate. This is not me pulling you along. This is not you, you know, right? And I'll give you motivation and I'll show you, you know, the steps and I'll remind you where you came from. And, you know, that's all a part of the process, but that's a partnership. That's not a, you know, me carrying you across the finish line, right? And that empowerment (laughs) is very important, you know, because that allows people to live life on their own terms and truly thrive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really well said. That's beautiful. Um, 
So what are some of the symptoms that uh, is common post-cancer treatment that you've seen and, and what can people do about those? Uh, maybe some tidbits or tips would be great. Yeah, so the biggest one, low energy, is a really okay. big one, right? Lots of people have a lack of energy post-treatment. I mean, their bodies have generally been through the ringer. They've been fighting against the cancer cells themselves to make enough energy for the rest of their body, right? You know, and so a big one is that lack of energy. And so how do you get better or do the things that you need to do if you can barely get off the couch or need three naps a day or, you know, right? right? And, and so energy is, is a very big piece of this. And so this is where, you know, making sure that the physical state of the body is assessed, right? So this is where the restore section comes in. But there's also a mental part of this, right? So is the fatigue that you're experiencing also roadblocked by some of your mental thoughts, you know, right? Is there some sort of thing? Because if you have massive amounts of anxiety, can you imagine if your brain is constantly thinking all the bad things that could happen to it all day long, right? Yeah, it's going to be draining for the rest of your body, right? You know, and, and so there's that piece. So how much of the mental gain is draining you, right? How much of the people around you are draining you? Are they giving you space and time? Are they giving you what you need in order to get better, right? So, so what is that level of fatigue, essentially, right? And so mm-hmm. that's, that's the first thing that a lot of people have complaints. And we've talked a little bit about making sure the physical assessment is there, you know, and that's a big piece of that. So, so that one, lack of energy. The second one is that overwhelm and fear. Mm. You'll find as you read through the book, the amount of mental health, secondary mental health concerns in that, in that post-treatment syndrome, in that PTSD or PTS world is massive. The estimation is about 75% of people struggle with mental Ooh. health issues at some point after. And they've done some studies recently in the last five or six years in places like Korea and other stuff. And they've been able, and huge, these are like big amounts of people, they've been able to show that not only do the people going through cancer, but also their support network. Their support mm-hmm. network also is suffering from the secondary mental illness. Right. Right. And they're in that post-treatment syndrome place, right? Because you know, and, and, they, and they, they also are in that survivorship state. They've altered their life, their finances, their love, their, everything about helping this other person. On top of which, I mean, if you actually talk to my parents, this is a common thing that they both say. is They would much rather be the person diagnosed than the person on the other side. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because they feel that when, when their partner was going through it, they felt so hopeless, right? They, yep. they, they literally could not make it better. Right. You know, they couldn't make it better for the other person. All they could do was try to create support and be around them. But there was no way to actually make it better. Right. And so this is where that secondary process of those, you know, have to remember that, yes, the person going through cancer is definitely going through it, but also their their support network is, too. And sometimes their support network is not compassionate and forgiving. You know, I've had many a client that's like, you know, my husband thinks I should be over it by now. I'm like, well, oh, wait a second. No, there's, really? no, there's no be over it. Right. You know, they say that I'm supposed to go back to life as normal. And so those are the people that are like the pushers. Yeah. Right. Like how they function in stress. Right. Or in that survivorship mode is in that like, you know, that movement, that that fight phase. Right. But yep. their partner yep. is not. They're in freeze or they're in flight or, do you know what I mean? And so, so recognizing that within the dynamics of this is very important. Um, so that addressing, you know, that fear and that overwhelm and, and really taking a look at, you know, that anxiety and depression. And it's interesting. I mean, when I went into this interest in, in you know, deep dive into this research section, 
for this part of the book, um, I, I'd seen it over and over again. And I was like, this is burnout. This is anxiety. This is depression, you know? And they, so the first study that I read, which was only like 2019 or something, so not that long ago, was showing that, you know, after diagnosis, 90% of the people were not hitting the markers for anxiety and depression. But when they t- did a follow-up 18 months later, 90% of those people were being treated for anxiety and depression. So I went, oh, there's some, yeah, there's something wrong with the studies that you're using. There's something wrong with, you know, the, the markers, the Beck scales and all the different things that you're using. And part of the reason is, is because I think we test too early. You're still um, in that like, you know, relief stage of like, oh, I have it and, and I have everything. And then all of a sudden the real work begins and you mm. can't get over the fatigue and it's day after day and things aren't working the way we want them to be. Right. And then, oh, Right now, I'm mm-hmm. starting to hit that depression and anxiety state. So yeah. that's another common health complaint. And then, you know, I think that those are the big two, really, you know, mm. because, that, you know, a lot of centers don't even change the doors that you walk into. I mean, I know this happens in Canada a lot, but you, you ring the bell and, you know, right, and you get through your treatment or whatever, and then you're going in the same door to see the same oncologist to do all of your follow-ups, every three, six, 12 months, whatever it is. And you're sitting in the same chairs that you did when you were diagnosed with the same people around you. Like, are you uh, kidding me? Okay. I never that, thought of that. And that was one thing that really showed up with my mom. So my mom went through cancer after my dad. And my dad was the one was, who was taking her to all her treatments. And one time I was lucky enough to go with him. And he, he was so anxious walking through the door while my mom was going to get treatment. And I was like, what the hell, dad, calm down. Like, this is not you, like what's happening. And I went, Oh, this is the same door. This is the same chair. Like, you know, these are the same people, right? Like this is massively triggering, right? Like all you remember is feeling like garbage, walking in, getting your treatment. Do you know what I mean? And that's why your body has a visceral reaction in terms of the smell, sight, sounds, you know, everything. Right. And so how do you, and how do you work through that, you know, and, and I have patients, for example, that have breast cancer, and they have to get the same IV treatment every month for the rest of their life, but they don't give uh-huh. it to them in a different place. Just every month, <laughs> they walk into the same cancer center, and, and right. some of them are so disappointed because their oncologist doesn't prepare them for that. You know, they don't tell them that, you know, after they ring the bell, you're going to be coming here every, every month for the rest of your life, Right. And so well, then we they don't get there think about and, that. No. You know? Right? And so oh because it's centralized care, because it's, you yeah. know, right? And then, and then we just expect people to be like, yeah, I moved past this. And I'm like, wait a second. No, I didn't. Like the There's mindset, no you know, we, we yeah. set them up almost for failure because it's like we don't remember that, yeah, they can be triggered and traumatized or re-traumatized just going into the same place. It's not like necessarily a happy, colorful place. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So this is where there's that process of being able to find your resilience, find your opportunity. And we talk a lot about this in the book, like, you know, now that I've addressed my trauma, I can connect with my trauma, I can, you know, move past my trauma. How do I deal with my triggers that come up, you know? Um, and, and how do I move through that process to be able to like, you know, not feel nauseous because bad things are happening around me, right? You know, how do I, you know, have enough energy, right, to walk into the same treatment center and sit across from somebody who doesn't have the same outcomes that I am? Mm-hmm. 
Yep. And how do I put up my boundary, my guard, you know, how do I process that? And most yep. of these people, when they're going in for results and things like that, I mean, they haven't slept for, you know, five nights since they had the test because they want the results. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and there's this fear process because we <sighs> yep. get attached to like succeeding. Right. You know, mm-hmm. if you get another clear scan, then you've succeeded. Right. And if you don't, you've failed. Well, that's not mm. failure in succession. It just is what it is. You know, right. Like just attaching that positive and negative mind frame to it makes a huge impact on a person's mental aspect, their functionality, like all of that. Right. It just is what it is. We can't it's not positive or negative. You know, it has to be you know, part of your journey, essentially. And so letting go of that polarity of positive, negative, success and failure, you know, right and wrong, that, that is just wasted energy, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, that, and that's how our society just sees life. You know, it's, it's like yeah. a competitive this or that. It's, it's very, uh, very societal, this whole issue. Um, yeah, that's, that's well said. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about, um, okay, so if you could change one thing mm-hmm. about cancer care and how patients are supported, we talked a little bit about just walking into the same door, um, what would it be? What, what, like in the ideal world, you know, people, if we still had cancer, first of all, we still had cancer, people still getting treatment, uh, how, how would you change the system if you could? I think the first thing that I would address is this polarity, this us versus them, like, integratively this happens a ton, right? Someone will come to me, they'll get a brand new diagnosis and then, you know, their oncologist will be like, don't do anything she tells you to, right? Like, blah, 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 you waste of money. Like, and that even happens with my patients that are palliative. They get a diagnosis and they know that they're not going to outlive it, right? That that it's so far riddled, it's so far gone by by the time it's found, you know? And and this, this idea that the oncologist just doesn't, doesn't even give them hope like we can just do this to make you comfortable but you know it's going to end well my thought process with that is that then they should be throwing everything that they have at it and being able to live whatever time they have left you are not a person that can say yes or no just because it's happened 75,000 times doesn't mean it's going to happen the 76th time right and so to not have that space of being able to and and that and that deep lack of respect for the person's own process, for me, it, it shows up in that polarity, that us versus mm-hmm. them, right versus wrong, you know, this, mm-hmm. and this happens for, sometimes there are these people with radical remissions, right? And they'll say, you know, I had yep. my colon cancer and I cured it because I ate a certain way. But if you don't do what I tell you to do and the way I did it, you're going to fail and the cancer's going to get you. And I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> How, how do you get to stand on your soapbox? Like, it's one thing to inspire a person and to say, this right. was my journey and, and I'm really grateful for it and I wanted to share my journey with everyone. Right, but to right. tell people that they're going to have the same journey as you and that they're doing something mm-hmm. wrong because their journey isn't the same as yours, that is yeah. just disrespectful. So if there yeah. was Arrogant. one thing, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, right? And, and And there's a part of it that I feel is really sad because, you know, people would be more like, I'm so glad for you that this is your outcome if you weren't so preachy or pol- polarizing or, you know, and this, this is not just in, you know, in cancer care, but it is very deeply entrenched in cancer mm. care, you know, um, yes. like sitting in some of these, you know, they have these group sessions, right, where you can go and, 
um, you know, right? And you can meet other survivors and other people and whatever else. And, I, and, and a lot of these places, and, and I bring this point up in the book pretty in pretty deep, a lot of these places will take people who are going through active treatment, people who are in remission, and they shove them all into a room and they say, everyone here had colon cancer. I'm like, yeah, okay. But uh, how draining is it for somebody who has remission and they're watching somebody else go through active treatment? And how, um, how terrifying is it for a person in active treatment who wants exactly what you have but maybe doesn't have that as their, you know, as their journey? This is, not, uh, this is not a – and this is where the polarity can happen because, you know, some people become – they become crusaders, as I call them. They become oh. crusaders. And, and, and I don't, I love, I'm a warrior myself. I'm very much into being a warrior, but I'm a warrior <laughs> in a place of moderation because okay. I just have, I, I feel like, you know, to say that your way is the only way is disrespectful for everyone's process. Why mm-hmm. we can't allow people to be responsible for their own actions, be responsible for their own decisions, why we can't allow them to come to their own conclusions is just yet another way of disrespecting and lack of empowerment in order to be able to move forward. And the crusaders are the people who are, you know, they'll beat the dead horse with the stick and they're on all sides, right? They're, they're on the natural side where they're like, Oh, you know, all this stuff is bad and blah, blah, blah. And then there's the people who are like, all that stuff is a waste of money. And, and so this polarity is not actually, it's taking away from the experience with each person. Uh And that happens in every part of medicine. Right. And that's true. And that part of me wants to like change that, especially for people who are so traumatized by this type of by this type of disease process. Mm -hmm. Well, just the word cancer just strikes, you know, an arrow of fear in in most people when they hear about it. That's how you recruit lots of money, though. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that is that is true. Apparently, uh, I don't know what it is in Canada, but apparently in the states, um, it's uh, one of the few pharmaceuticals that can be sold by the medical doctor. I did not know that actually. Another um, doctor mentioned it in his book or something like that. Where I didn't know an oncologist actually sold chemotherapy. I really didn't know that because I, I I don't I can't sell. Necessarily. Yeah, yeah. I can sell supplements, but I don't sell pharmaceuticals. Um, yeah. 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 So I was like, oh, really? Hmm. <laughs> and this okay. is where that, that quest is, you know, like to move beyond that burden, to move beyond that focus. You know, if this black and white doesn't allow, even, and, and this is one of the examples I use in the book, even in yin and yang, the center mm-hmm. of each color is the other color. So even in Chinese medicine, long, like long, 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 long history, right? They were able to say, yes, there is a pair for everything. But even within that pair, there is still the eyes that are the other part. Understanding that that, that allows for that fluidity, that respect, that understanding that, you know, that, that everything should have a pair. But beyond that pairing, there is still things that live within each other that are a part of the other side. Right, right. Yep, that's a great reminder um, I was wondering, Dr. Katrina, whether or not, you know, I, I sometimes I tend to be not meeting people where they are at. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Um, so, you know, I was like, wow, you know, this this could be a really great opportunity, I, you know. But sometimes maybe the person isn't there yet. So how do you address that? Like how does one, 
even even if, if if the person's not a medical doctor, maybe they've listened to the show, maybe they've read your book, maybe they got excited about, oh my gosh, this is such an opportunity, right? And then they're talking to a loved one who may not be open, they just see cancer as bad. Like how do we kind of coax and encourage without basically dishonoring the person maybe to see the opportunity in cancer? Yeah, and this is one of the reasons why the title is the title. Because a lot of people, you know, they're like, there are some people that are like, ugh, this feels foreign or downright offensive because we, this rhetoric around cancer is about fear, right? And they're saying, how can I find opportunity in something that's decimated my body and my life and, you know, right? Yeah. And, and so the reality is that in order to deeply respect another person, it doesn't stop you from standing on the rooftop shouting, right, about your journey. So you can still listen to another person and say, you know, right, and, and the piece to, to find out where that person is is about asking and listening. It's not about telling. And we're not very good at this. This is something that I've had to be very connected with in my practice. Um, and, and, and it's something, thankfully, the Lord has given me as a, as, a, as a skill that I've had to hone. But this active listening to be able to understand, because in order to get somebody to change. You cannot force them. Taking a giant hammer generally does the exact opposite. And I don't know if you've ever seen a, te- a toddler, but you don't get, you know, like you get more yelling and more, and sure you can pick them up, but what do you do when they're 15 and they're doing the same thing, right? So there's this process to be able to teach them. And that teaching comes from listening. It comes from actively listening to where the person's at and slowly planting seeds you know, and so maybe they don't work as quickly as you want to. So, you know, going into your in-law's house and leaving the book on the counter, right? Not helpful because they're not going to read it and they're not ready yet. But, <laughs> oh, darn. Your, you know, right? <laughs> asking your mother-in-law, you know, what her, uh, reading the book yourself helps, right? And then asking your mother-in-law questions to get her to start opening up and, and, and having discussion about what the next steps are and how to move forward, Right. That is a very big piece to this process, that Mm -hmm. active listening part, because that's when you can be like, hey, have you ever thought of or, you know, does this resonate with you? Or, you know, I, you know, I read this, you know, eventually you can get to a place where I've read this great book. I think you're ready to to take this on. The piece to Mm -hmm. this is, though, active listening, we have to also park our emotions. So Mm -hmm. this this is a piece where. We have to deeply respect the fact that they're allowed to make their own choices. You know, uh, you know, I have family members who, uh, you know, I'm watching it like it's like a friggin train wreck happening, you know, right. I'm just watching them make all these decisions. And I think to myself, they have to live with all of their consequences. They get to make their own choices. They know exactly what I do so they can come to me and ask me when they're ready. And I keep myself open. And when there's an opportunity that arises, I, I plant a seed, you know, when there's an opportunity that arises and I, and, and, and I feel like the energy is open, you plant another seed. And, and the third thing that you can do is lead by example. Yes. Love if that. you expect other people to make radical changes, but you're not willing to do the work yourself, mm-hmm. then you're not going to get them to move. Yep. And this happens a lot because of the field that I'm in. There are a lot of women who are very interested in integrative therapy. They, they need that partnership in order to get better. There's so many of these pieces that help, right? Mm-hmm. However, what happens is 
they worry about their kids and their parents and their parents and their yep. you know, spouses and all this other stuff. And I say to them, you know how they get all better by you getting all better. Yeah. And your partner will go, Hey, what are you eating over there? You have a, a massive amount of energy. How'd you get there? Right. Your kids are going <laughs> to be like, Oh mom, how did that change? Like, you know, you're not yelling at me every, you know, 30 days or something. <laughs> right. So there's this process that you can go through. Right. You know, and, and so I think the big things to take home is actively listening, right? Checking your own emotions when someone doesn't do something that you think you that that you think would be good for them, because that that leads to anger, frustration, right? It's the hurt. Mm. There's a hurt part of that, right? Because and that's that's not partnership. That I think I know better, right? Yeah. And so yeah. so checking your own emotions, and then the third thing is doing your own work. I love it. You know. So Absolutely. that's how we can move, move through this. And it's a very challenging thing. Trust me, there are times in my clinic where I just like, I told you what you need to do, right? And you're still not doing it, right? There's, there's that feeling of like frustration. But when that happens, yeah, yeah. I take a step back and I start with what is their roadblock? Um, We're still here talking about this because there's some sort of roadblock. And so then, yeah. I, then we have to get creative about, you know, that roadblock. And so this is a piece where, you know, and you'll read a couple of case studies in the book about like, you know, the patient that comes in has gained a crap ton of weight because they're on dexamethasone and, you know, and they used to be a runner and they want to do physical activity, but their body's not responding. And so we go, Hey, how about we do some chair squats? You know, uh-huh. let's do some imagination running where we're actually using our arms and legs, but we're sitting in a chair. And they're like, what is this helpful for? Yeah. Five years later, they're seven kilometers a day. Right. Uh So you got to be able to meet them where they're at and get them started in any way, shape or form. It's all about being flexible and problem solving, you know, right. In terms of being able to no problem does not have a solution. I teach my kids that a lot. And and that's where there's a partnership in terms of exploring the solutions. And that's why we called the book, the opportunity cancer. I called the book, the opportunity cancer, because the opportunity is about tapping into your resilience and becoming clear and making clear decisions about where you want to be. And it's like a blank slate. You can create a totally new life. And it doesn't mean you have to get rid of the old pieces, right? There are pieces that you're going to love about that life. Bring those forward. Use those as your tools, right? But really stepping into your resilience allows you to see the world in a whole new way. Yeah, and I, and sometimes with more joy, I know for me, it's like I was on autopilot uh, through, you know, a lot of my life, through vet school and afterwards. It was always about being better. It's always about serving, 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 you know, like just doing a bazillion things. And when I got hit finally with my illness, um, it, I couldn't go fast. And um, I had to reevaluate everything and, and started living life consciously for the first time in all those years and it really is a gift. So now I'm very, very different person and very happy and happier. And and I've seen some of my, you know, patients, I didn't deal with a lot of patients with cancer, but when they could overcome those blocks and those things, um, they're really a different person. And um, some have better boundaries, you know, some have found the joy in relationships, some have found the strength to quit their job that was toxic, you know. (laughs) Absolutely. There's so many opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. And the only way that we get to that place is by finding our resilience. Beautiful. Well, Dr. Katrina, let's make sure we uh, have uh, number one where folks can get a copy of the book and, and talk about the bonuses. Number two, if someone's interested in working with you, do you do that one-on-one either through Zoom or in person and how do they get a, a hold of you? Yeah. So 
Um, so we're in the launch phase for the book. So if you go to the opportunityincancer.com, it'll bring you to the website. Um, and if you go to slash book, it'll actually bring you to order your copy now, right? So, um, and then there's uh, resources where you can claim those bonuses. So once you've bought in the book, you can put in your name and, and your number and receipt number and everything, and you will get an email copy of, of all of the resources. So there's an electronic copy of all of the questionnaires, all of the charts and graphs, everything. So, so basically there's a workbook, right? There's a, a, a workbook, a lab book, the glossary, it all comes electronic. So you have these quick, short ways to go back and forth between all the material so that the book doesn't become even more overwhelming right? Uh -huh. Because there are so many steps. And so you can really take it uh, on your own way. And then uh -huh. um, outside of that, if they'd like to work with me, they can sign up for my list um, where um, the plan is to do um, some master classes, to do some, you know, webinars. And, and then of course they can directly email me if they want to do one-on-one -on -one consultation as well. And that's all on the contact page on the book. So there is a way for us to do, to work together. I do work in consultation. So it is a consulting thing, so I can take you through the full steps, and, and I can consult through the process, and we do do it electronically. There's no problems there, um, you know, so there is a capacity to do different things, um, you know, but the, the big part is to start with the book and get the, connect with the material, make sure that it connects with you, right? And then, you know, we can go from there. So, yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, it's certainly a, a low-cost entry to finding out about it and reading it, uh, you know, maybe doing some of the work, seeing how it resonates, and then if they're like, oh, my gosh, I really want to work with Dr. Katrina, you know, then can go on the contact page and connect with you and, and uh, like you said, maybe do group work and one-on-one -on -one work. So that's fantastic. So that's theopportunityincancer.com for folks yep. listening in. That's where you want to go for all that information and information about the bonuses etc um right at the beginning of the show i just ordered my book so <laughs> amazing thank <laughs> you yeah yeah my pleasure happy to uh promote this beautiful work i think you've done a, a an amazing wonderful job and i know it's many years in the making that we've been talking about stuff in your book and and things like that so i'm just so tickled pink that it's here it's here. It's in it's all 65,000 words of it and reference. So it's all there, which is phenomenal. And I love that. Right. So thank you very much for your support. Thank you for everyone who's listening. And I do hope that this is a helpful transition. The purpose is just to give more, give more resources for people so that they have a yeah. place to start. Yeah, it's beautiful beautiful um thank you dr katrina and thanks everyone for listening in until next time lots of love and bye for now bye-bye bye, -bye. bye.